0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Steph on Never Told You, your production of iHeartRadio. How often do we do two-parters? Is
1: it an often thing? It is less often as of recent. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the last big two-parter was Women Who Love Did Killers. Was that a two-parter?
0: I No, that one wasn't, but the the women serial killers was, for sure. There's something
1: else we did not too long ago. Oh, uh, Women Who Organized. That was a two-parter, I think. Yeah. And then Star Wars, obviously. Obviously. Those those two were two-parters.
0: Yeah. I used to be really hesitant about two-parters and I would try really hard to condense, but There was a certain point, I believe it was yesterday, where I contacted you and I was like, I think this women cult leaders episode is going to have to be a two-parter.
1: Right. I think we both like, there's moments that we think it's not going to be big and then we're like, oh, oh, okay, never mind. Because the women who organize, I did not anticipate doing, but it felt so sad to cut it off. Right. So we wanted to add as much as we could. And sometimes that means two-parters. Yay.
0: Yes. And here is a a second part of a two-part series we had on um, women leading cults. So highly recommend you go listen to part one first because we do a lot of baseline. What are cults? What are all the arguments about cults? Um, Which is really key to this conversation. There is so much we could unpack in all of this. Right. All of it. So... If that's something that you listeners would like to hear, please let us know. But just, we're kind of doing, um, I won't say superficial, but we're not going into the depths we could on all of these cults and all of these women and whether or not they're cults.
1: We're talking more about examples rather than the psyche and or uh, trauma behind it. So that might be later though.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. I I don't know why I got so weirdly excited, but there's just that psyche (laughs) aspect (laughs) is interesting. When you always look deeper about the why, it's always more fascinating to know. It is. It is. So before we get into these examples, quick trigger warning, there will be discussion of suicide, sexual abuse, violence, death, murder, general abuse. We're not going to go too deep into any of that. But when you're talking about cults, it can get pretty grisly and disturbing. And yes, as we said in part one, there's a lot of argument going on and debate around what constitutes a cult. And there are lots of layers of sexism, racism, and anti-religion any that's not Christianity involved in these discussions. But yeah, just to acknowledge that that's going on. And with the women we're talking about and the organizations we're talking about, not everyone would agree these women were cult leaders. And I think those conversations are well worth having. Some of these organizations might not be considered cults at all points in history, but with the right person, they can become cults, or at the very least, run by someone who fits the cult leader stereotype. Who, yeah, we talked about that in part one as well. But like charismatic is one of the very key things there, and controlling and like just demanding all this adoration and complete submission. That being said, these are some of the women that frequently come up when you're digging around the internet for women cult leaders. And another disclaimer, the histories of these can be a bit murkier, fantastical. As we said in our serial killers episode, it just can get a a real difficult because even even reputable newspaper sources sometimes like to (laughs) really lean into that morbid, ghastly side of all of this. So it's hard to say for sure. Right. Right, definitely a level of shock factor. For sure. And speaking of, let's start this one with Clementine Barnabet, sometimes called the first black female serial killer in the United States. In 1911, a Louisiana police department got a frantic call about a suspected incident. Sure enough, when police arrived on the scene, they discovered the bodies of a man, woman, and child with their skulls split open, a bloody dax at the head of the bed, a bucket of blood in the corner, bloody footprints throughout the room. They deduced the killer must have come through the window since the doors were locked. At the time, a local newspaper called it, quote, the most brutal murder in the history of the section. It was not the only axe murder to take place in nearby areas of Louisiana and Texas. These murders were believed to be the work of a cult by the name of the Church of Sacrifice that required human sacrifices for their religious rites, rumored to be led by a voodoo priestess. Even so, all of the initial suspects were men. One source described the murders as brained with axe. And after other similar murders took place, usually of families, the authorities began to suspect that they were, quote, the work of the same terrible monster. Sources indicate most, if not all, of these families were black families. So the police eventually turned their sights
1: on a sharecropper on the wrong side of town uh, named Raymond Barnabet. Both his children, Zephrin and Clementine, testified against him, claiming they were scared for their lives. He was abusive to his whole family, according to records. However... More murders took place while Raymond was in jail. Both of the children were arrested, in part because their neighbors described them as degenerates and in part because Clementine had blood from one of the murders on her shirt. A local newspaper reported in 1911 that when the police searched the Barnabet household, they found a complete set of women's clothes in her room saturated with blood and covered with human brains. With no alibi, Clementine went to jail. The murders did not let up. Three families were murdered in January of 1912. The dead's hands were splayed apart with wood, and messages like this one were left on the walls. When he maketh the inquisition for blood, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. A bit of a twist on a Bible verse, by the way. These messages were written by hand and signed, Human Five, and the press began attributing these murders to the Human Five gang, and they really went all in on this voodoo aspect. Just as more and more people were talking about Clementine's possible connection to the mysterious Church of Sacrifice, Reverend King Harris was thought to be the leader of this church, but upon questioning, police dismissed
0: him as a suspect. Limitine confessed to killing 17 people in April of 1912. She further explained that she wore a voodoo charm for protection while she killed. In her words, it was gifted to her by a voodoo priest, a man who did not claim himself as a voodoo priest when questioned. So it was somebody that they followed up with, and he was like, whoa, what? (laughs) And straws were drawn, according to her, between her and her accomplices to see who would commit the murders. She went on to say she dressed as a man to be left relatively alone and unnoticed on night she was planning on killing someone. And a local paper reported that she said she killed the kids so as not to leave them an orphan in this world. She said that she would, quote, caress the corpses, and one district attorney called her a moral pervert. Because of what she said in her testimony against her father, people were still confused about the veracity of her claims. When she gave the names of her accomplices, all that was turned up, they were all dead ends. She said she believed that sacrifices were the way to achieve immortality. A 1912 article headline read, The X-Man is a woman! What exclamation (laughs) point?
1: (laughs) So later examination found there was no church of sacrifice and that perhaps it was confused with Harris's sanctified church, especially with the swirling rumors of voodoo. And none of this was helped by the fact that during her time in jail, Clementine constantly modified her story and ended up confessing to 35 murders. Whew. Her attorneys argued that she was insane, but this did not prevent a judge from sentencing her to life at 19 years old. She tried and failed to escape early on, but other than that, didn't really cause much trouble. In fact, one report about her imprisonment claimed that a procedure returned to her normal condition, uh, and she was
0: released on good behavior after a decade had passed. So that's all pretty murky. People who have delved into this believe that Clementine did commit some of the murders, but maybe not all of them. However, they think someone in that household was the primary murderer. Over at True Crime Daily, James Hoare wrote, she scandalized the press, stirring up a gumbo of moral panic in a state where civil war and slavery remained a living memory. Everything about Clementine Barnabet." represented a collision, even a perversion of cultures in the eyes of white Louisiana, from her mangled Creole French to her mangled beliefs, a tabloid baiting blend of voodoo, itself a blend of Catholicism and West African tribal rights and evangelical Christianity. So I want to include that because for this one, like her name came up a lot, Mm -hmm. but there's just clearly to me, like even in the language of the newspapers, like Degenerates, The Wrong Side of Town, and this whole like voodoo thing that the press was really pushing that there's just like a layer of racism over the whole thing and it it doesn't feel because this was kind of debunked, right? That they found no proof
1: of this church of of sacrifice.
0: Right. But it's still she comes up as a woman leading a cult. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, in 1989, in an Amazonian town in Brazil, there were several reports of missing children. The authorities looked into it but couldn't find any leads, and the cases jumped to 19 missing children between the ages of 8 and 13. Five other children had been found dead, castrated with signs of torture. Officials believe that the murders and disappearance were related to a medical guild due to precise nature of castrations. These bodies were identified as homeless boys, but the boys who had been reported missing been done so by their families. And depending on the source, one or two boys managed to escape after castration and found some officials. Whatever the case, only one ended up testifying, and the story he told was horrific. Torture, rape, mutilation, like eyes gouged out, and castration. He testified that other children were stabbed and killed, their organs sold on the black market, or they ate them. But again, this is not been confirmed. And in his testimony, he named a handful of people doctors, a police officer, a wealthy businessman, and Valentina de Andrade,
0: the leader of the religious cult. The cult in question was called Superior Universal Alignment, a UFO cult led by Valentina, whose members believed the world was ending and the only way to be saved was by following the commands of their leader. She claimed she'd been contacted by extraterrestrial beings and that they claimed the apocalypse was nigh, but that if she passed along the message, they would send a ship to collect her and other believers to spare them. She believed that God wasn't real and that Jesus was an alien. Perhaps the most shocking thing she said, though, was that boys born after 1981, which is when she claimed to have received her message, were evil and needed to be killed, both because they were evil, but also to serve as payment to their extraterrestrial saviors. Five children were never found of the 19 reported missing and four of the perpetrators were captured. However, Valentina managed to escape the country and evaded capture for several years. Even when authorities did locate her, she provided an alibi for the murders and was released. Apparently she fainted at this verdict. Yeah, so we have some more examples for you, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: Thank you, sponsor. Along with Marshall Applewhite, Bonnie Lou Nittles co-founded the UFO cult Heaven's Gate in the 1970s, and she believed herself to have a divine purpose. She was known as T. She also went by Peep, while he went by Bo, and the two of them went by the two went together. Uh, She was a registered nurse and raised in Texas. She got married, had four children but then reportedly started doing seances in the early 1970s. According to some sources, she thought a monk named Brother Francis from the 19th century was communicating with her and giving her instructions. She was big into astrology and the occult, uh, and she visited several fortune tellers, at least one of whom told her she would soon meet someone matching Apple-wise description. Um, and the stories of how they met vary from inside hospital to a theater after an accident, something like that. Allegedly, Nettles was asked to perform a reading on Applewhite and agreed she determined they were spiritual matches.
0: Applewhite was gay, though he did marry and have two children. His family was very religious and conservative, and despite his best efforts, he did engage in a few homosexual relationships. Nettles and Applewhite had a non-sexual relationship. He later wrote of it, quote, the only relationship they shared, certainly having no physical attraction toward each other, was the compulsion to discover what had brought them together. James Lewis, author on a book of UFO cults and a professor at the Institute for the Study of American Religion said, quote, Applewhite was so alienated from his homosexuality that he was teaching people not to have sex. He would put people of opposite sexes together and force them to learn to become neutral, non-sexual. Apparently, Applewhite had himself castrated and that perhaps others in the group were castrated as well. And in 1973, Nettles told her daughter
1: and son she was leaving, and that was the last they ever saw of her uh, with Applewhite. She said that God was leading them in a certain big direction. Uh, She sent a cryptic religious message to her daughter several months later, claiming that she and Applewhite were witnesses. Members were required to dress alike and cut their hair, which I think people know about. Together, they formed Heaven's Gates. Uh, Nettles said she'd communicated with aliens about the next level, and Applewhite declared she was a higher rank than him in 1976 her eye had to be removed in 1983 due to cancer spreading throughout her body and according to her daughter the letters changed in the 80s and that she got a sense her mother wanted out but there wasn't a graceful way to leave as she said
0: Yes. So Nettles died of cancer 12 years before Applewhite and 38 others killed themselves in a mass suicide event, believing that it would allow them to access a UFO following in the wake of the Haley-Bopp comet, believing that it would grant them passage to the, quote, yes, next kingdom. Or Right before this event was carried out, the website was updated with a message that they were happy to leave this world and join, quote, T's crew. Experts believe her death was a significant touchstone in terms of beliefs around the body being just a vehicle, which is what Applewhite said about Nettles, making space for the tragic event that was about to occur. Nettles' daughter tried to contact her to get her out, but was told her messages wouldn't be passed along unless she told them what she planned to say. When the daughter said it's personal, they hung up.
1: Hmm.
0: So sad. Mm -hmm. So next we
1: want to talk about Amy Simple McPherson, who was a faith healer, evangelist, and a founder of Foursquare Gospel Church and builder of the Angelus Temple. She was born into a religious family in 1890, but she soon had questions about their faith. At the same time, she was a vocal opponent of evolution. At 18, she married and got pregnant, and on their honeymoon. Her husband died. When she returned to the U.S., she remarried and had another child, but soon grew restless and absconded with both the children, leaving her husband for a religious
0: calling. She traveled the country in a touring car, the, quote, gospel car, that had the message, Jesus is coming soon, get ready, stopping to speak at churches along the way. And she really knew her way around a crowd. Um, She would speak in tongues, she would perform faith healing demonstrations in which she appeared to have cured people. She was breaking attendance records compared to other evangelical leaders. As a woman, she was a rarity in that space. At a San Diego event, over 30,000 people showed up to see her and the Marines had to be called. It was described as the best show in town. And just for example, she would ride motorcycles into these events sometimes. They had... Uh, like lights and special effects. She was one of the first women in the U.S. to travel across the country in a car without a male chaperone. And she frequently argued, who says a woman can't preach gospel? Charlie Chaplin was a secret friend of hers and helped her with her sermons. Wow. I can't mm-hmm. believe I've never heard of her before this because,
1: yeah, it's so rare to see uh, traveling preachers and healers yeah. that, aren't,
0: that aren't men. I know. I'm I'm shocked I hadn't heard of her either because it sounds like she had a pretty big pull. During her uh, 30,000. That's a huge number for sure. Mm-hmm. So
1: eventually, she decided to retire from the crowds and travel, settling in LA, where she raised funds for the Angeles Church 1.5 million. Wow. Where she gave sermons seven days a week. In 1924, she launched her own radio station called KFQG, Foursquare Gospel. And she also hosted successful radio broadcasts, making her one of the first women to receive a broadcast license in the U.S. Around this time, she formed her own church. Square, uh, and the name comes from four facets of Jesus: transformative salvation, divine healing, baptism, and the return of Christ. Many
0: male leaders in the space were vocal opponents, which not surprised. Nope, not at all. <laughs> in 1936, she disappeared on a swim, an event that captured national headlines, attention, and rampant speculation about what happened to Sister Amy, as she was called. A believer literally drowned themselves. It was it said was in sorrow, but I believe they were just trying to swim out and help with the effort. Right. Members threw dynamite in the water, hoping to surface her. Rumors spread like wildfire, that she disappeared to have an abortion, that she had had an affair, that she'd gotten plastic surgery, that maybe there'd be a ransom or foul play was involved. The police received a ransom note demanding $500,000 for her release, and it was signed by the Avengers. Oh, I know. Getting up to no good. Amy showed up in Mexico a month later. Her identity was proven by her knowledge of her childhood pet pigeon's name, which I love, and the location of one of her scars. Amy claimed she'd been kidnapped by three Americans who demanded a ransom, but she was able to escape. By her account, sawing out of the rope restraining her and walking 20 miles. After a reporter questioned if this was possible, Amy said, many have said that a woman could not have built Angela's temple and do these other seemingly impossible things. But I did. She sure did.
1: <laughs> so when she returned home, over 50,000 cheering spectators met her at the train station with a parade. However, her return was not without suspicion and officials looked into her kidnapping. She voluntarily showed up at a grand jury and the rumors are swirling. Particularly around an engineer of a radio station owned by McPherson's church who disappeared at the same time she did. However, there wasn't enough evidence to back this claim, so the judge dropped the case against her. McPherson wrote a book about it in 1927 called In the Service of the King, The Story of My Life. She died in 1944 of what was deemed as probable accidental overdose, or over forty-five thousand people came to see her lying in state. And when she died, The Foursquare Church was worth $9 million. And these days, there are over 9 million members. There are over 1,700 Foursquare Churches in the US and over 66,000 meeting places worldwide. She's been credited with bringing modern era conservatism into
0: the era of modern media.
1: That's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, so she's been coming up a lot when we are talking about, yeah, kind of these personality-based shows that do you know, the opinion shows, especially when it comes to conservatism and how religion often plays into that. And at this one, too, is one I've never heard of this church, but I know that you could for sure argue whether or not it qualifies as a cult. Right. There's nothing outright that screams to me cult. About it. Right. It does come up on several lists, but I'm wondering if that's more about her, more of a cult of personality. Like she was just so charismatic and people really, really adored her and would do anything for her. Um, and again, like we could go, we could do deep dives on all of these, and maybe there's just something I don't know about it, about this church. But right. that was just kind of my take on it, where I was sort of surprised this kept popping up on other lists about women cult leaders.
1: I mean, and again, yeah, there's a conversation of how she's getting this money, where she's getting this money, which also is kind of that political turning and conversation of that as well. But it's also unprecedented that a woman started a church and it still exists today to -hmm. the popularity that it's saying. I will say I've not heard of this church either before uh, this episode, but it is interesting to see how it continues to pop up. And again, yeah, you're right. Cult is seems a little more dark than what this is presenting, but we do also know, like, when it comes to followings and especially of the uh Hellfire Brimstone era that she grew up in with the traveling preachers, which has now formed into different religions itself, it also can be seemingly cultish, yeah, because of the supernatural element to it,
0: yeah, and and that's another which we keep saying, but I just know that this is such a like fine line of. Some people would call this a cult and other people wouldn't. And sometimes that line for some people can be, oh, that looks so different and weird in heavy quotes compared to what I am used to. Right. So it must be a cult. It makes me nervous.
1: (laughs) It makes me nervous. And again, this is also based on old religion. And when I say old religion, uh, you don't see the practicing of tongues, the healing in general. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. I've seen it. I've seen that. It still exists, but you Mm -hmm. just don't see it as much. And yeah. especially in popularity.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons it is classified as a cult to, to some people is that kind of whole faith healing, speaking in tongues aspects, which, you know, can be, a lot of religions can have people like that who are just like really bombastic and entertaining right. in that way. Not to dismiss at all like people's beliefs, but I'm just saying like as part of a, somebody who can gather that sort of passion and excitement and that can be almost like an entertainment or a role that you're right. getting people excited about this thing.
1: Right. And again, though, if we look at what she did compared to some religions today, there's not that yeah. much difference. So you, you yeah. do have to question that.
0: Yes. Now, probably after this, I'll look it up and there'll be like something super dark involved. But I feel like <laughs> they would, that would be on the top of like...
1: Right. Her is... information. And you're right. like We don't see that. It's just more of her accomplishments that we see more so than what the
0: religion or the practice did. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, like you said, kind of a big impact of like having this first radio station as a woman like broadcasting right. license and being in this space and then providing a jumping off platform for conservatism and modern media today.
1: And it could be also the language back then, If the competing, I guess, church or belief system. You going to call it something insidious and so therefore cult may be right. the automatic name given just because you don't like it. And it is, again, done by someone who's not given according to them authority, which is a woman. Right. Which is a whole different conversation. That, Once
0: again. Yeah. No, that I I had that t- thought too of I don't feel I have enough knowledge of this particular right. event, but I do wonder if there was a layer if there's a woman doing this thing that's seen as a man's space cult. It's weird. <laughs>
1: yes. These are just yes, yeah, these are like you and I just hypo analyzing yes. Yes, what is. this is happening.
0: Yes. I I mean, I think certainly there's at least a layer of that in most of these. There's a layer of sexism, racism, and this isn't Christianity like I see it in the United States, specifically.
1: And some of these are heinous, too, though. Oh, (laughs) yes. Also, yes.
0: (laughs) Don't want to (laughs) dismiss. Yes. Both of those
1: things exist in in these two episodes. Uh, yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Good point to, to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have one more woman cult leader we want to share with you. But first, we have one more quick break forward from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. We thought we would finish out this two-part series about women leading cults with Anne Hamilton Byrne, the charismatic leader of the Australian doomsday cult, The Family. Hamilton Byrne was a woman of many talents. She could sing and play the harp. She was put together, as they say, with styled blonde hair and pearls and Chanel perfume. One of her ex followers said of her, in ancient times we hear about enchantresses who could enslave people with one glance. She had eyes that looked through your soul. After her mother set her hair on fire, she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and ended up spending 27 years in a psychiatric asylum before she died. Anne spent some time in orphanages and her first husband died in a car accident when she was 20. She'd given birth to one daughter and as rumors go, had suffered many miscarriages by then. And in the 1960s,
1: Hamilton Byrne founded The Family and claimed that she was Jesus reborn as a woman. She was reportedly inspired by a Russian-born medium by the name of Helena Blavatsky, who founded the Theosophical Society in New York in 1875. Blavatsky introduced many to Hinduism and Buddhism. When Hamilton Byrne took up yoga in the 1950s as a balm to her grief, uh, she pretty quickly fell in love with the ideas of Eastern mysticism. She started teaching it in the 1960s and by all accounts was a pretty good teacher. Uh, She was really good at getting a read on people's vulnerabilities. She allowed gay men in the face of the anti-homosexuality laws in place in Australia at the time. He also managed to recruit a physicist and a master at Queen's College at Melbourne University, Dr. Rainer Johnson. He was uh, approaching retirement and curious to explore new, quote, weird areas, and interest amongst the scientific community about spiritualism was on the rise. And he just became completely beguiled by Hamilton Byrne, even naming her the next messiah for What he declared to be purely academic purposes, he experimented with LSC and took notes about it, including this, quote, Her face became divinely beautiful with sublime authority, unquestionably the wisest, the serenest, and most gracious and generous soul I've ever met. He and his wife bought a home near
0: Hamilton Burn, and together they birthed the family. The family lived in obscurity in Melbourne, and their motto was unseen, unknown, unheard. Hamilton Byrne targeted well-off professionals, telling them that she had, quote, been waiting for them and that they were special. Dr. Johnson lent a scientific and legitimate air to her claims. Her teachings were a combination of Christianity, Eastern mysticism, and a sort of apocalypticism. And the initiation allegedly involved all members, even children to indulge in a potentially deadly amount of LSD and hallucinogens for a lengthy amount of time. After that, she controlled practically all aspects of their lives. In one survivor's words, quote, There was only one rule, do absolutely everything she said. That included what to think, what to wear, what to eat, who to marry, who not to marry, total obedience. She gave sermons, or discourses as they were called, from a purple throne in a lodge funded by members' money. Many members of the cult tried to take their own lives, either during their time there or after, and a few did, upsettingly. To keep members in line, she'd beat them, sometimes with a stiletto shoe. But she often left this task to the aunties, who were middle-aged women afraid of their own punishment if they didn't enact it on others. Um, She would starve members, um, emotionally abuse and manipulate them. The children might also get a daily dose of Valium, or Mogadon, to keep them from fighting back or to just kind of keep them calm. At age 14, this switched over to huge continuous doses of LSD. And for many, this was disastrous, resulting in depression, trauma, nightmares, social withdrawal, and personality changes. So after two children escaped in 1987, police
1: raided the family. Over the past few decades, Hamilton Byrne had a mass of 28 children. The first had arrived in the 1970s and some of them as gifts and some of them sham adoptions. At the time, Australia's regulations around adoptions were lacking and the stigma around unmarried motherhood was pretty quite powerful. According to a detective that tried to bring charges against Hamilton Byrne, she quote, you had babies born in a cult hospital delivered by cult midwives, handed over to cult social workers. Uh, Hamilton Byrne bleached the hair of all of them and adorned them in matching clothes telling them she was their birth mother. She also told them she was royalty and owned castles. She kept the children separate from the main compound at a wooden lodge two hours away where they were homeschooled. She desired to be the perfect mother but had no real interest in actually putting any effort into that. And thanks to property donations from followers and land, Hamilton Byrne collected 150 million Australian dollars and she was arrested for minor fraud charges in 1993. She and her ex-husband, who one follower described as a handsome, rich, compliant handbag, uh, got off with only 5,000 AU in fines. Absolutely No jail time. And one of the rescued teenagers after the 1987 raid explained, it's hard to say how devoted we were to her, how we hung off her every look and every thought she had about
0: us. We wanted so much for her to love us, but I don't think she ever really did. Julian Assange, founder of WikiLeaks, admitted his mother's boyfriend had been a member of this cult. Assange called him a sinister presence and claimed that they ran from him. Hamilton Byrne spent over a decade in a nursing home where she eventually died. The Family, if you want to know more, there is a documentary on it. Like we said, there's podcasts, documentaries galore in almost all of these. So the information is out there for you. <laughs> yes, there's a documentary, a book called The Family by documentary filmmaker Rosie Jones and journalist Chris Johnston. The creators were unable to interview her due to her dementia and lack of ability to consent or they weren't able to film it or write it down, but they did get to sit down with her and they described the power of their experience. So, yeah, I just feel like a, there's so many themes we could unpack here because we've really run the gamut of like, yeah, sexism and racism and homophobia. And right. this idea of the mother did come up a lot and just so much like misogyny and toxic masculinity. That, yeah. Yeah, we could really come back and... Dig into I mean, that some more. And
1: I'm sure each of the podcasts and the uh, documentaries talk about the childhood and the background and the trauma yeah. that kind of birthed these people to be mm-hmm. who they are. And I say that loosely because you you, don't, you never know, not to give any excuse, there's not an excuse, right. but there's always a beginning.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and yeah. I think that's that's an interesting way to look at how things are created. And again, with different personalities that can bring about these perfectly placed disasters and or perfectly placed timeframes, I guess is the best way to say, because we don't know the depth of what has happened truly outside of those who were inside of it. So there's there's a lot of things to question and to look at. But yeah, just to see the background of what is happening. Because again, we see so much of the sensationalization yeah. of what has happened. Because mm-hmm. we know, you know, Jonestown, we know Waco, we know the big details, but we don't know the small details. Of course, the aftermath for the members, what has happened. And I know there's been a lot more uh, documentation, documentaries, conversations from survivors because mm-hmm. they do want to tell their stories and important for them to tell these stories that we have to pay attention to that. And yet these are not just incidents. And though we, we are giving off you know details of what may have happened, of or just a small uh, picture of what may have happened. Rather, these were people's lives that were affected, and yeah. we do see the lingering effects for different people uh, who have been affected by what we would call consider a cult mm-hmm. that still exists that's not being recognized because of people's opinions and or maybe politics that we again, yeah. as you talked about, they some of these cults had political figureheads behind them. Yep.
0: Yep. 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 And that's one of the things for me, this whole, this is all very complicated, right? Because there is a lot of trauma and you don't want to absolve anybody of blame, but there is that. There's trauma and there's brainwashing. So that's complicated. But then you would see, like, for example, when we were talking about Betty Lou Nettles and I just noticed, like, people were really into, oh, she did the seances and she did, she was involved in the occult. There's nothing, like, inherently wrong with any of that. Right. Um, and I know what they were getting at. They were saying like, she was looking for, quote, heavy, quote, alternative, like, enlightenment. Enlightenment. And she was interested in those things. But I do think that things like that can be problematic when we're having these conversations because right. that doesn't necessarily mean cult. I, I, I know we keep coming back to that, but I just think that it's really, really important. <laughs>
1: Right, then she's a prime example of someone who looked at alternative, uh, what would be classified as new age ideas during that time, and yeah, because it's abnormal, and because we we are in a country that is so inundated into Western Christianity, and mm-hmm. I have to specify that it's a Western Christianity, this very idea of notion that almost takes to the point that. You know, the idea that Jesus is white, you know, that kind right. of level of what Christianity, what is right and wrong. So therefore, that is cult. And that mm-hmm. is super, very, super dangerous uh, when we talk about that. Because we know, again, the New Age ideas and reading palms or looking through tarot cards does not equate cult no. <laughs> in the story. You know, just because you right. look at astrology or you trust in astrology does not, again, equate cult. But... There's this whole underlying dark, sinister idea behind it when you raised up in, again, Western Christianity ideas and beliefs, which again is dangerous. Absolutely, for Mm -hmm. sure. And the same idea because I think for me growing up, which is why I was so fascinated by Eastern religion, is because it was told to me that is forbidden in -hmm. itself. You know what I mean? And then learning about it, I'm like, no, this makes sense. And I'm not a religious person, but the ideas behind it, and some of the beautiful sentiment behind understanding Eastern religion, which has existed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: longer than, again, Western Christianity. right? (laughs) (laughs) Like in itself is a whole different conversation we could dig into. Because yeah, that also is fear-mongering in itself. Mm -hmm. And now again, the atrocities that we talked about, They are for real. We need to talk about what has happened, how uh, it has traumatized others Mm -hmm. and why we need to talk about it. But yeah, there's definitely the balance of we have to remember the biases that could be placed into these reports as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah, because it's not that we're (laughs) saying these aren't cults or that the the terrible, terrible things happened within them because for a lot of them they did. But I think it's just the language I picked up on in it that I was kind of, it kind of made me a little anxious. Like I get that's true and I get it and this did end up being bad, but that doesn't mean it always is. Right. Yeah. Ooh, very complex. A lot of nuances. (laughs)
1: So many things. Glad we got into it and hope we, yeah, we'll definitely look at the overall ideas of women and cults in general. Just the whole being a member because we do see a
0: lot of times it's heavily women. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely going to return to that. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm both excited and nervous. Not <laughs> <to, laughs> like anything. It. Yes. As uh, <laughs> like most this. episodes on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the meantime, listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can or email stuff media mom stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuff I've never told you or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.